This is the main course on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, with my partner in crime, Patrick Martins. Hello. <laughs> uh, we are broadcasting live from the back of Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn, 261 Moore Street. And our sponsor today is The Barter House. The Barter House is a proud supporter of the Heritage Radio Network. The Barter House works with family vineyards and small bottlers from around the world to bring only the finest and most flavorful wines to market. To learn more about The Barter House, please visit them on the web at www.thebarterhouse.com or call them at 917-463-3076. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are honored today. We are delighted today to have my friend Mandy Ozer, uh, who's in the studio with us. Mandy is um, one of the proprietresses of uh, Ardesia, which is a wonderful wine bar on 52nd Street between 10th and 11th Avenues. Um, but Mandy has another secret life. She's a... <laughs> So she, she's a she's a dual personality, and her other the other part of her life is that she is the assistant to Eric Repair of Le Bernardin, which keeps you very very busy. I know that. Yes, indeed. So um, we're going to um, also include. Uh, we're going to have Julia on. Julia from jo- Employees I'm, I'm mispronouncing only. her name, but. Jo- Djokovic. Djokovic from Employees Only Restaurant, and which is um, a super cool restaurant and a great bar, and uh, she has a whole kind of. Um, Eastern European butchering um, family history, which is kind of cool. Oh, that'll I think be fun. You know me, I love talking about meat. I know, you were a butcher, weren't I'm you? I'm the meat maiden, absolutely. And um, before we sort of get started on all of those things, I see Dave Arnold in the uh, studio right now. Um, Dave's going to come in. We have a very special uh, little tribute organized to one of uh, the food world's greatest talents, Michael Batterberry, who died this week from complications from cancer. So we just wanted to um, spend a few minutes reviewing his career and... Um, uh, trading a few Michael stories. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been an, a mentor and uh, an encouraging force for all things good in the food world for probably the last 50 years. He was yeah. a remarkable guy. Um, somebody who made everybody feel like they were his best friend the minute you meet him or met him. And uh, it is really a tremendous loss to the food community and also to really to the nation in terms of all of the good things that Michael was working on mm-hmm. behind the scenes uh, in a very special kind of, um, you know, undercurrent kind of way. He was never uh, particularly outspoken um, but his force for good in terms of encouraging farmers to bring their product to market and restaurant chefs to use those farmers uh, and to create a supply and a distribution channel and all of the things that are responsible mm-hmm. for the, what we call the food revolution today largely came from Michael Batterberry's vision and good work throughout the last few decades. So, mm. um, Dave, thanks for coming in. It's good to see you again. Me. Yeah. So you, you yourself are uh, were good friends with Michael Batterberry. Uh, in fact, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be where I am today without him. I mean, uh, you know, one of Michael's things, like you, you said, is that he he liked to do a lot of things behind the scenes, and his he knew just a, a bazillion people. I mean, he knew you know many many people spanning you know four or five decades he was working, mm-hmm. and he loved nothing more than to put people he thought were interesting right. or that he thought should be together together and then after he did it it's never like he took credit for it or like he um you know was touting you know tooting his own horn about it but he no, just, was very modest this is why i think you know no one who didn't know him or, or you know knew what he was doing no one is really ever going to know the full impact that he had right. on the food world in uh, you know especially in this country probably worldwide i mean it's just really kind of incalculable because he never bothered calculating it himself mm-hmm. you know i mean he was yes. just an incredible 
incredible guy and also just a fantastic guy. You know, just really a lot of fun, uh, really an amazing, amazing personality. So he was cultured, very, um, very so elegant, educated, yeah. great vocabulary. He always conducted himself in a manner that you almost felt you were in the presence of a, the royal court or something. You know, um, he brought with him an old world uh, he did. side. A real was, gentleman. I mean, with a capital G and quotation marks around it. I mean, he was really remarkable in that way. Always <laughs> impeccably turned out, uh, incredibly gracious and welcoming, no matter who you were or where you came came from mm-hmm. and uh, a mentor and an encourager to just as Dave says countless numbers of people including me including you Patrick yeah I mean I'll tell Dave. a couple stories but um, you're right about not being able to measure how many people he affected like how do you put a number on food and wine magazine or on the 56,000 chefs and restaurateurs and hoteliers that took um, you know food art subscriptions right. like where do you put a number to that right and back you know before it was, you know, popular to be interested in food. You know, there were, you know, early, ch- you know, champions uh, of food, but not many early champions of chefs. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Michael uh, really was very interested in the, in the people who were working in the industry behind the scenes, making their life better, increasing the, you know, the, the status of, of, of being someone who works in a restaurant, someone who, uh, you know, writes about food, cooks food. I mean, these are all professions uh, and pursuits that he thought were worthwhile. And he spent, you know, the majority of his time making uh, all of our lives better, yeah. uh, you know, because of it. I mean, it's... I mean, he even honors in this amazing book of his On the Town in New York, the landmark history of eating, drinking, and entertainments from the American Revolution to the Food Revolution. I mean, he has uh, 20 pages at the beginning just talking about all the old tavern owners, you know, that at the time were feeding and and, and supplying drink to the English soldiers, you know, because this was an outpost of the English here in New York City back in the day. So to honor the names of the tavern people and to explain what they served, how they served it, and to kind of capture the energy of that mythological place, you know, that people can barely remember. I mean, he was truly a man of the people in many ways and honored them. And that, that, you know, the history he wrote here wasn't a a dead history for him. I mean, one of the things I think was really, um, you know, great about talking with him is his his knowledge was so vast, uh, you know, historical and and present day. Encyclopedic. Right. No other word for it. And he could weave them all together. It was was one big tapestry for him. And I think, you know, that's why, you know, aside from his amazing voice, you know, his voice was... I yes. can still hear it in my head. I mean, his voice was just... Me too. You know, uh, you know r- amazing. He I was mean, made for radio oh, in yeah. that sense, although he was way too good looking. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. He was... Uh, Did not have a radio face by any no. stretch. It was a commanding and yet like a caress also. Commanding and warm. And, uh, yeah, very warm. Yeah, you know, because for those of you that never uh, never met him, you know, they, all these descriptions are spot on, like super elegant, always looked like a million bucks, sounded like a gentleman, sounded, you know, almost like he was could be an aristocrat. On the other hand... So friendly, so welcoming. You would you never felt uncomfortable in his presence. No. You, you could be dressed in you know shredded shredded clothes and be dirty from d- digging a ditch, and yet he you know would treat you like you were you know the the Queen of England. It was amazing. Absolutely. That's that kind of like how I met him. I was some lowly leader of slow food here. You know, no one. I was like, hello. You know, and he's like, <laughs> let me introduce you to Gus Schumacher. You know, the yeah. former uh, agriculture you know head for for the Clinton administration. You know, and I, I remember just being so touched and humbled that he would think that this could be a useful contact for us, you know, even though no one else really knew or cared who we were. Well, he, his interest in encouraging young people to do 
the best they could do and to help facilitate those connections so that you could actually live out your dream. I mean, for instance, Patrick, had it not been for Michael, you and I would not have met and I, we would not be doing this show together. Oh my God. Because it was Michael who <sighs> assigned me to I do a profile of, of the station. And the reason he did that was because two years earlier when I started writing for Food Arts, he and he gave me my first real, you know, writing assignments. I mean, this was just a pipe dream of mine. Oh, I want to mm. write about food, you know, and he started giving me these assignments and quickly zeroed in on the fact that I love the meat business, that I had this background in, you know, butchering and so forth and like steered me into the stories that, you know, helped me really fill out my knowledge base. But then he you know, assigned me. I, I told him in a conversation that I wanted to start a radio show about the food chain. I didn't want to talk about chefs particularly. I really wanted to talk about how we get what we eat. Mm -hmm. And he thought that was a great idea. And then when you started Heritage, he assigned me to do the profile on the Heritage on radio. radio network on yeah. Heritage Radio and Network. And you became co-host. And then day. I became co-host. <laughs> I mean, show. so he he just saw these things. He could see. He had a vision for everybody. It was really and you remarkable. Did write a very nice article that i did write a nice piece for you about i mean that. he yeah. was always uh, like yeah he was always there like you say i mean god I, I can't believe i didn't i was trying to think of all the earlier days like um when i first started slow food you know with that group, small group of, of founders um he had introduced he would bring me up to that office of his on like 32nd and park and or, or something like that it was you know on a high floor very very elegant and he had introduced me to a couple people but then all of a sudden he took interest in this cocktail event that we were going to do and this was you know in the year 2000 2001 very early in the history i mean there weren't that many cocktail events and he helped us get the oak room of the plaza and uh, you know and in honor of that old cocktail guy um whose name is escaping me now the famous old one which one? Uh, from the 30s or 20s. Her. Maybe who even, created things like the old fashioned? Yeah, the stuff guy like from that. the 1800s. I know exactly He's like the king mean. of the cocktail. Yes. Anyway, it was the most elegant event that So Food had ever done. And it was funny. Like the one event he touched, you know, was by far and away the best. Had and his the most. patina, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, he was amazing. He introduced me to Harold McGee, you know. Oh. Which, uh, yes, the the wizard of the kitchen. Right, he yeah. had me write it. You know, it's like it's like he used food arts as a tool for putting people who should be together together. Yes. I mean, he was like, hey, he had me write a silver. For those of you who don't know food arts, food arts is it's a trade magazine, but it's not. It's 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 something that only you know Michael and you know Ariane could have put together. It's like I mean, right? I mean, correct the me if I'm wrong. The front burner. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's meant for the restaurant industry, but it makes for great reading for anyone who's interested in the food business. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's quite different from uh, Food and Wine magazine because it's not recipe driven. It's really about the people behind the scenes and trends in the industry, where the industry is going. And Michael had a remarkable facility for being able to spot a trend before anybody else did and assign an article to it and know that this was going to be what was going to unfold in the restaurant industry in the coming years. I right. mean, he really was... He and Ariane both right. his wife Ariane of course survives him and I'm sure is having a really rough time um, I imagine I don't now, think they, uh, according to my friend Rosemary Morris who is very close to them they have never they had never been apart for more than a few days oh my God. during their entire marriage so that is so sad I mean I can't even fathom that um, and do you remember his new American farmer project which was a project to bring people from third world countries i guess or you know places that were suffering he would bring in families to u.s farms to run the farms for maybe the america 
the people who had owned the farm didn't want to run it anymore or were having too much trouble. But, you know, a family from Vietnam, for instance, would have been very happy to be given 20 acres to, to sure. run and this and that. I thought that was a very progressive project. I know he did that with Gus Schumacher. He was enormously progressive in terms of identifying ways in which we could use uh, smaller agricultural entities and bring them into a more mainstream, um, you know, uh, distribution channel. I mean, he had a whole project that he was working on in upstate New York where they were reviving a canning factory and the you know, for tomatoes and and that was, you know, helping all of these farmers locally and it was moving into the can the tomatoes were moving into grocery stores around the state and the in the area. I mean, these are the kinds of things. These were the seeds of what we're seeing now, um, you know, grown to great extent. Uh, all of the urban farming projects and all of the stuff that's going on here in terms of local distribution, farmers markets and stuff like that, really can trace some of their, at least some of their success back to Michael's vision. I mean, not to like, you know, go on and on about the guy, but I mean, ugh, we got to go on and on. Yeah, I mean, he was... Uh, he was just a remarkable figure, and like you said, Dave, so behind the scenes, like so modest, so just not interested in anything, but pushing the greater good. It was not about Michael and Ariane Batterberry. It was about what's better for all of us. And, and that, yeah. I think, is what made him remarkable. And he, like I, he was just such a joy to be around. And I, you know, now that he's gone, you, know, you never expect someone like that to go. You never expect oh, that they're going to be gone. Oh, he had so many more things to do. I know. All I could think about was how many projects he was working on and that could have, you know, how much more stuff could have happened. A, a web portal for every single sustainable food group would have a presence in this portal. I mean, which is like essentially the Google of mm -hmm. of the food world. I mean, you know, yeah, he definitely had a lot of big things going on. Mm. I mean, there's just so many more questions I wish I could ask him, more I stories know. I wish I could hear. I know, me too. I was very sad to lose. He was disappointed when I left Slow Food, and, and then we'll take a break and maybe come back with maybe five or ten more minutes if we, if we could do another segment on him. But when I left Slow Food, I was like, hey, I left Slow Food, and now I'm running a company called Heritage. He was like, you just arrived to Slow Food. I was like, come on, that was six years ago. And he said something to the effect of, six years does not a career make or a reputation. <laughs> it was like a shot through the heart. Yeah. I'll never forget. And I still think, like, if I'm haunted by one thing, it's Michael telling me that, like, as if I had disappointed mm -hmm. him. But um, why don't we take a one-minute break, and we'll come back, uh, you know, for a final uh, remembrance of uh, Michael Batterberry. I don't like fiddle music out there. We got any dancers out there? Well, if you feel like getting up and dancing, I don't know if anybody's going to get mad about it. Hey, JT, only one thing, you got to be careful. Are the fiddlers ready? All right.
We are back on the main course on Heritage Radio Network. Um, our show is sponsored today by the Barter House. Um, and we were just recapping uh, the life and times of the wonderful Michael Batterberry, a friend to all of us here, um, and a friend to everybody in the food business. Around. He introduced us and us. Dave yeah. Arnold and yeah. I know yeah. each other through, uh, through Michael, Michael. Batterberry. Um, I wanted to read one thing that I read about him in the many, many... Last night I spent some time like Googling all of the obits that ran, and they were from coast to coast. I mean, from Tampa Bay to Boston to San Francisco, Chicago, Minneapolis... Every paper covered... Because uh, there was a much smaller food world also back as he was ascending into, you know, his important no role. There, there might have been a, a handful of good restaurants or visionaries in their respective places like Tampa or yeah. St. Petersburg or New Orleans, you know. And he knew them all. He but was anyway, connecting them. I think what... I think this little paragraph, which I think was ran on originally on the food... It did run originally on the Food Arts website. Um, and I thought that it really described uh, his many activities and the many many things that he supported uh, throughout his decades in the industry. Batterberry pioneered efforts to unite chefs, restaurateurs, and farmers in a mutual nationwide support system that also serves to advance the cause of sustainable agriculture. And this is what I mean about him being way ahead of the curve, because he was working on this stuff 10, 15 years ago when nobody had ever heard the word sustainable. Locavore hadn't been invented, but Michael was already working on this with Gus Schumacher. He served on numerous boards and advisory boards including those of the French Culinary Institute, the Culinary Institute of America as a fellow of the Institute, the American Institute of Wine and Food, Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, the Rockefeller-sponsored Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture, New York University's Department of Food and Nutrition Studies, Wholesome Wave, Heritage Foods USA, and Spoons Across America, among others. They wrote that, Heritage Foods USA? Yeah, food arts. Michael also served as chairman of the Food Education Committee for Food Culture USA, the principal theme of the Smithsonian's 2005 Folklife Festival on the Washington Mall, which drew more than one million That's visitors. Big. That was huge. I remember I was working in PR at the time. We did some work around that, and it was a huge, huge event. It was run by um, uh, Joe Nathan, yeah. actually. Um, but anyway, that's just a just a thumbnail sketch. He was everywhere of one and everything. Of, you know, aspects of this guy's life, um, and there was so much more to him than um, just those activities. But it was amazing, and, and he was everywhere. Every you know, he and Ariane went out every night, checked out new restaurants, made new friends, introduced new chefs. I mean, they were just just to give you indefatigable. A thing, he once came to a pastrami and corned beef tasting that we organized <laughs> impromptu at the French Culinary Institute, and he was there eating it. And we put his picture eating like a corned beef from Zingerman's or something uh, <laughs> on the cover of the snail. And yet another time, years later, then um, our LA distributorship. We only work with one distributor nationally. We keep control of all the other accounts. But in LA, we had a distributor. So essentially, our destiny and our farm, farmers' destiny were in the hands of this big distributor that was bought out by Cisco. So the Cisco people were like, we have no room now for your pallet a week. And I was, of course, incensed. I'm like, how could one pallet not be able to be dealt with by, you know, with all these people? So I called Michael and he CCs no other than Rick Schneider, the entire pinnacle top guy at all of Cisco about our (laughs) stupid L.A. pallet. But of course, that was probably the only guy he knew to talk to at Cisco, you know, it was like the number one right to the top. Yeah. And it was always go right to the top. So nice that he would do that for our, you know, 
small organization. He always threw his clout behind people he believed in, always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, there was no, he had no fear of, of backing people that he liked and believed in. Tell us some stories, I mean, some memories you have of like things he's done or places you've been with him or, you know, significant, poignant moments. You and Nils wrote a beautiful... Both of you wrote some really nice uh, copy about Michael's passing. I picked that up on the web for the for the FCI. Um, yeah, for, for, for the, cooking issues. For cooking issues. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, I was introduced to him by uh, a mutual friend. I mean, he he had a lot of a lot of interest. He hung out with even outside of the food world, some incredibly interesting people. That's how actually I met him. I was I wasn't even in the food business at the time. I was trying to get into the food business, and he uh, realized I had a. Uh, you know, a very a good technical background and also a good uh, uh, a good history background in food. I was working on a food museum at the time, which he actually worked really hard to try and get to help happen. Yes. He was on the on the board. We never we never made it. Someday I still hope to do it. It's still I think the most important project that I have on the back burner, sh- trying to start a food museum. And he was on our. You know, he, he he went to bat for us on that too. We we came you know within a within a, a hair of getting a space in the Battery Maritime building down there, and he mm. threw his full weight behind that as well because he was always looking to the future and this is you know recently this is just a couple of years ago he was saying you know i wonder what's gonna i wonder what's gonna happen 10 years from now i wonder i want to do something then you know the next thing i think is going to be important and so he you know even though i didn't make it yet or haven't made it yet with that you know he was uh full force behind that on our board putting his name behind it he um I'm sure there'll be a batter buried yeah. wing or, or, or room or something when this uh, project does finally oh, yeah. come to I mean, fruition. He, and, and, and at the French Culinary, where you know I'm the director of culinary technology there, he literally called Dorothy on the phone. Dorothy did not know me from a hot rock. You know what I mean? And, he's, and he says... You know, he says to her, he's like... Yeah, he's like, he's like, you know, this is the guy you need to hire. And she's like... Who, who? What? What? Huh? You know, who? What? And, and they're like, no, 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 you're, you're going to hire basically so... You know, no one ties Dorothy's hands, but basically she was like, all right, Michael says, you know, that you're the man for the job. So I guess you're the man for the job. I mean, that's figure it out. That's <laughs> that's enough. Getting him to support you. Almost no questions asked other than Michael is saying. it. Yeah. And, and he made his decisions fast. He decided what he thought of you pretty much. Yeah. Right away. Very, very, very yeah. early. Um, I'm going to miss him. Me too. Yeah. Lovely guy. Wonderful person. And I'm sure the uh, staff at Food Arts is just like devastated. Yeah, but a, um, this food museum year. is very good. It's funny. Well, just uh, to be patient, uh, Bernie Wides, who has one of my favorite shows on the network. Yeah, The Naturalist. The Naturalist um, gave me a book on the history of the Museum of Natural History. And the first 50 pages of the book is all the failed endeavors to start the museum. And so, you know, museums take a long time, but once they, you know, get that foothold, which is, you know, years and years in the making, then, you know, it can have a huge effect. So be patient. Know that all these great ideas take decades sometimes. Well, maybe we should work on it together. I'm thinking. I'd love to. Yeah, Patrick, you're an historian. I I would think maybe that could be one of our first um, network-wide causes. Absolutely. Where across the 22 shows, you know, that's a common issue, and I don't know if we can start a foundation or start raising money somehow, but, um, you know, hire the people that can put in the time. But, yeah, I think that's a very noble mission. Let's have a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a great cause, I think, uh, for this. We're always looking for a network-wide cause. Maybe yeah, a, a food museum in one. Michael's honor would be... Uh, I think this is a good great. time to launch that, too. 
I think yeah. there's a lot of interest in how we got to where we are now and where are we going next. So, so. with Kennedy's passing, they passed some form of health care. And now uh, with Michael's passing, hopefully it'll be the beginning of a uh, food museum initiative. That'd be That's fantastic. Right. <laughs> um, well, Dave, thank you so much for yeah. coming by. This has been Dave Arnold from the French Culinary Institute. And um, we want to say Cooking Issues, which cooking is absolutely is on, one of the best, tomorrow, if not right? the best show on the network. It tomorrow? is so much fun to listen to. Yeah, tomorrow's, yeah. but only t- usually we're Tuesdays. Yes. That's what I thought. Usually Tuesdays. At for, uh, for, for tw- from 12 to 12.45. 12 to, uh, uh, we're going to be coming, uh, though, tomorrow because Michael's services are on Tuesday. So we'll be, uh, we'll be uh, live tomorrow from 12 to 12.45. We're going to be here with David Wondrich, the okay. cocktail genius. Um, Who I think was involved at that Plaza event ho- hotel uh, event that we did on the cocktail back in the day. I think Michael might have brought him on to help with that. Probably. Probably. But he'll be here tomorrow to answer your your cocktail-related questions. Fantastic. All right, well, let's take a short break, and we'll be right back with Mandy Ozer from Le Bernardin and Ardesia. Yo, guys, we're... back on the <clears throat> excuse me main course i'm patrick martins i'm katie Kiefer. we're sponsored by barter house who's given us a wine mandy can you give us uh, an impression on sure well and our our guest right? oh it's Shall not I? even open i'm so our bad. guest is mandy ozer who is one of the she's like a triple threat i know <laughs> an amazing woman a, with a dual life owns a bar she owns it's not just a bar it's a wine bar called ardesia it's located on 52nd street between 10th and 11th we're Avenue. about to see whether it's a hoity Toity wine bar or a it's super democratic a one based super, off her. Super friendly, really nice, attractive, modern, groovy, hip joint. <laughs> okay, um, so for all our listeners out there, she just smelled the wine. She didn't twirl it around. We'll take a sniff first to see what She'll the take a first sniff. impression is. Actually, yeah. the first impression, after. do you like? Yeah. I like it. Now she's swirling. 
Now she's swirling. Now, Mandy, so what if, let's talk for a few minutes before we launch into your, your second career and the one that you've been, that you and I know each other from, right. which is working for uh, Le Bernardin being Eric Repair's assistant. Now, was, um, did you pronounce that right? Absolutely. Eric yeah. Repair. Eric Repair, like repairman. <laughs> Americans are always, when they want to start to sound French, they just make more letters, as many letters silent as they can, <laughs> like prefix. I'm like, there's an X at the end of that. X's are not silent. I don't know who you've been listening to. <laughs> Pre-feet. A lot of people will say pre-feet. No way. Yes. Oh, because it's silent X on the they pre. They figured better, if I'm sp- trying to speak French, better safe, make some letters silent. Anyway, sorry. It's a, it's a good policy. You know? <laughs> this is actually pretty good. I'm liking it. It's light. I would say it has a... Long finish or anything, but no, it's, but it's, it's friendly. It's, it's like a you know, totally user friendly. What's the name of this? It's like a good it's breakfast or the, brunch uh, wine. Turner Estate. It's from Marlborough, New Zealand. Uh huh. And this is one of the wines that is distributed by the Barter House, which is our sponsor today. So, mm-hmm. so Mandy, let's talk. How did you get into doing? Okay, aside from the fact that your job with Eric is unbelievably busy, and I know that because <laughs> you've seen it. First I've time. seen it happening. Um, how did you decide that you wanted to have a sort of you know moonlight? As a as a, the proprietress of a wine bar, <laughs> <laughs> I've been planning for years. No, I mean, you know, been working kind of. I've worked for Eric for it'll be seven years in August. And yes, I've kind of grown up working in restaurants, small family-owned places through college, after college. So it was kind of always in the back of, of the mind. And did and you have a big wine background? Because I, I, I hadn't realized no, that No, I'd been kind of, of your... quietly studying it, you know, kind of on the side in my spare time. And it just kind of, a number of factors came together. Um, and it's just, it goes hand in hand with the food. And the food's always been a passion of mine, really, since I was a kid. No um, kidding. Yeah, yeah. And yet you're very slender. <laughs> <laughs> it's an illusion. But, um, you know, I, I think, think so. wine and food, they belong together, and it's just been kind of a natural evolution of my interest in food. So who did food. you grow up with? Like, your, was it your mom or your dad, or was it your grandmother? I mean, who were the seminal food people, or um, was it just you, independent? De- definitely my mom. I mean, she's big into home cooking, and we had a garden, and I'd be the, the nerdy kid at school who'd have kind of vegetables instead of, um, you know, Fritos or whatever. Oh, so, totally nerdy. Yeah. Did they beat you up? Oh, uh, yeah. Humiliating. All the time. Um, but then, you know, when you're young, you're kind of, you feel left out and you want the... You want the Oreos, but then... Uh, Damn right. I want those little snack packs where I can stick my breadstick into the cheese Whiz. Totally. I want yeah. my Twinkies, cheese and cracker yeah. pack. Which Garrett yeah. Oliver Ho-hos. told me once that uh, flies will not land on. Stop <laughs> Yes, it's true. I'm going to try it as an experiment. You should. But, you know, but that don't was buy a- the Twinkie. Don't support it. Do it at the store. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to see Twinkie, but Twinkies belong in the food museum. Sorry, man. No. Oh, like, they do. But they belong in the food museum. Okay. That's so in the house of horrors. You yeah. Know, the, the hall of horrors. Um, but so that was a big influence. And then I, I grew up uh, in New Jersey, not far from the city. And my mother was always kind of bringing us into the city for little adventures. I remember being very little and her kind of dragging me into this Korean restaurant. And wow. Us being the That's only. very adventurous. Yeah. Yeah. So, Where was this? Um, I mean, it was in Koreatown. I, so that you grew up in New York City. Oh, I grew up in New Jersey. Okay, on the Jersey Shore. But uh, I think that that stays with you. Those little experiences yes. and just I just remember the excitement of going into the city and you know it would be Korean or Brazilian or you know it was always something we were 
kind of having an adventure with and nothing fancy just simple mm-hmm. places but um we were lamenting uh ann and i the loss of brazilian restaurants there used to be a lot more uh restaurants like cabana carioca and all that's that that's the one we used to go to yeah my three mom floors. exactly and i always remember cara de silva who i knew um you know back in the day had written all these articles about them that you could see going up and yeah it was really part connected you to much older food cultures sad that that closed guarana yeah. And uh, Kinding, my favorite dessert. That's odd that they're closing. I would think, uh, I don't know. You well, now there's a new generation of restaurants like that that I think are opening up. Well, I think all those old timey ones didn't, are going uh, away. get with the sustainable track, you know? I mean, mm. if they had said we have an organic steak from Brazil, they could have been part mm. of a grandfathered into a whole new. But, you know, those restaurants didn't necessarily. Uh, they didn't have Follow those concerns, and I think that's true of, I mean, even Indian restaurants today, um, which are gaining in popularity, and there's a lot of new white tablecloth Indian restaurants, they're still not jumping on the sustainable bandwagon. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could certainly do so, because How so much of their, I know, so much yeah. of their food is vegetarian-based, too, mm-hmm. so you could really make hay with that, but they and are not And you could charge it. whatever you need, you Absolutely. know, if you need to double the price, you know, people will pay for quality if, uh, if it's there. Yeah. So tell us, um, what, what? When you put together your wine list for your wine bar, how, how do you make? How do you do that? Like, what's well, we you know, what's we, the philosophy behind a wine bar? Well, we knew first and foremost we wanted to create a place that was very friendly and approachable, and I think you hopefully experienced that when you were there. And you know, we also we looked around. We felt like there were so many places that are doing sort of a single region or a single country focus really well, um, and we wanted to broaden it a little bit. So. We focused on the old world and the new world and kind of creating some juxtapositions, Mm -hmm. you know, having, you know, lots of familiar things, but then little more lesser known gems. Um, And And do you say no to certain things or you're like, our wine bar is not going to be one that does this or that carries this? Like, how do you shape your... Yeah, I think the driving force is, is quality. We're looking for, you know, a lot of our lists drive from smaller family-owned production. You know, we're, we're not religiously organic or biodynamic, but it just happens that a lot of that goes hand in hand, mm-hmm. that a, a small family-owned vineyard, you know, understands the necessity of taking care of their land in a certain way. I met the, the owner of one of our um, wines we poured by the glass, a, a Barbera from Italy, it's a young woman, you know, third, fourth generation family producer. And I said, well, what's the deal? Like, how, you know, do you use pesticide? You know, what, what's, how do you work your land? And she said, you know, sometimes we use certain things, but this is my land. This is my heritage. I want to take care of it the best way I can. And mm-hmm. so that, that kind of drives us a little bit as well. But, um, you know, we're not really, we're not dogmatic in any way. Uh-huh. Um, but... So what so, do you, when you go to another wine bar that, you know, you, you see is maybe not as good, I mean, it'll be because the quality of the wine is not as good or because they're not dedicated to a certain mission or well, I think, I mean, what makes a great winery? Like, how would you describe to it? To me, I think a great wine bar, a great restaurant, anything is, is a place that has kind of a, a clear philosophy, whatever it is, you know, I always, I think often of Bar Hamon. I love Bar Hamon and, you know, I think you just know so clearly what you're getting there. You're getting great Spanish wines, you're getting sherry, you're getting traditional tapas, and, and it's just, it's consistent and it's clear to me. So I think places like that, I think that's that's a driving force, consistency and kind of clarity in what you're about, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be, you know, any one particular thing. But How much do you think your experience at Le Bernardin shaped the way you 
um, you know, put together the wine bar with your with your partners? I think in a in a big way. I think you know, Libertinen is kind of like this amazing school in a way, this amazing education. And of course, the wine bar is totally different than a four a totally star <laughs> Michelin three star restaurant. Yeah. Um, but I think there are lessons that can be can be gleaned, and I think we certainly have. We certainly have been influenced. Um, you know, the, I always love the example in our last cookbook at Liberton, it's called On the Line. It's kind of a documentary of the life of the restaurant and Maggie and Eric's philosophy and how, how it's run. And they have this massive list that they've had since Liberton was started called The Cardinal Sins. The I think that was published in a magazine article as yeah, well, wasn't yeah. it? I remember it seeing actually, that. What are they? I think they have even been food arts, actually. Stealing food? I mean, it's it's 129 items and growing. So. Oh, Jesus. It's like but the Martin you Luther must thing. not but, do you know, in what, restaurant world. So to do or not some do. But so my favorite one is every guest who walks through the door should be greeted within 30 seconds. I mean, to me, you can be a four-star restaurant or a neighborhood wine bar. When you walk through the door, a, a warm greeting is something that you know, I think is, should always happen. Much more important than that. Do you have a thing on the timing by when, by which the first drink must arrive to the client? I mean, we're not, you know, we don't have a stopwatch out or anything like that, but you know, again, it's sort of, I think common sense. I think it's, I want a drink in my hand in five minutes, whether it's a coffee shop or a thing. I just, just the drink, then things can, un- can unravel. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm with the, you there. Yeah. But yeah. And I think that's part of the staff and training the staff to read that. You yeah. know, if you come in, I think you'll, you'll sense that from someone. Okay. They shut the menu. They're, you know, ready to go. Or some people who are chatting and they don't want to be bothered while they settle in. So I think that's another key thing, but yeah, no, I think that that list is, is great. And it's a great philosophy to just say, like, these are, the universal standards, sure, some are very specific to, you know, a high-touch service, but a lot of them are just simple principles, you know, and, and that can apply across the board and a variety of styles of places. So, now, Tell us about the behind-the-scenes now. I was talking, we were had on the show our friend Sylvan from Chez Panisse, who says that Chez Panisse uh, abides by the standard hug and release. <laughs> oh, my God. What does that mean? <laughs> Well, no matter who's hug. coming Alice's way or Shea Panisse's way, you know, everyone gets a hug, you oh, know, no matter what. Cool. But sometimes you do have to release them, too, you know. <laughs> sometimes if it's too crazy a request or, you know, oh, they can't deal the with all the requests. The guests are also people, you know, TV people that may, might be wanting to interview or mm-hmm. someone who wants it as a book deal or hug and release. Hug or I'm a 4-H student and I need help or I'm a fisherman. Who knows what the questions are, but um, is that the policy at La Bernadette? You know what? I'd actually have to say it's not that dissimilar. I mean, we're very, you know, Eric and Maggie, they're, we're very um, engaged and we get hundreds and hundreds of requests for donations and things like that. Every year, students who want to come and, and work for us and every single person who contacts us gets a personal response. So mm-hmm. it's it's in a sense similar that's I think. a hug and release no yeah because it's not yes to everything and we certainly couldn't do everything that's asked of us but everyone has the courtesy of of that personalized response which mm-hmm. again is something that you know i think is is smart and i think is it's also why you can command a higher price because i mean you know i went to the carlisle yesterday with my mom and Ann, and it was so lovely you know you were treated so well i mean that's yes. why, why a cocktail costs 19 dollars is because it's a, an event you'll never forget in a way you know i mean you're treated so well and that type of uh 
treatment is nice, you it's know. It's about the value for your money, you know. It's maybe a higher price point, but you felt like you got a great value mm -hmm. out of that. So Yeah, I don't think you ever walk out of Le Bernardin feeling like you just got ripped off. That's, you know, that's good. You, <laughs> yeah, Thank not God. that I've, I'm an often, uh, not that I'm an, a frequent visitor, but um, you, should, you should. But uh, <laughs> thank you, Mandy. You're like just um, a tea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll have a tea and a cracker. You're like, you're like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> My name is Katie. Yeah, oh, I have a cracker, a biggie. <laughs> Could I have a biggie and a cup of tea? Do you have any more salt? <laughs> Oh, the butter's lovely. <laughs> Could I get that to go? <laughs> oh, my God. Patrick, I think we should do it. I'm not, now I'm Hilarious. back from England. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, they're that's so all bad I'm talking there. about. They're so funny. But how many uh, Bloody Marys have you guys Yeah, I know, oh, right? right? I'm, just, I'm not even actually, done with my first one. We have noticed a marked deterioration of show quality in the second hour of the show. <laughs> And that's often it. <laughs> it is a culprit. Well, we should we take uh, a that. break and then let's come back uh, and I have more a few more questions. More with Mandy Ozer? Absolutely. We'll we have tons on. more questions. So I'm nowhere near done with you, girlfriend. Uh -oh. Awesome. So we'll be right back on the main course. And I will only tell you one more time than you know that I'm never gonna tell you again. This is 
the main course on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, with my co-host, Patrick Martins. We are sponsored today by The Barter House, which is a wine distribution outlet. You can visit their website at www.thebarterhouse.com. They work with small family vineyards and bottlers from around the world. And we're trying their Pinot Noir, which is actually pretty good, from New Zealand. Um, Really nice. And our guest today is Mandy Ozer. Mandy is one of the proprietors of Ardesia, a really wonderful wine bar on 52nd Street between 10th and 11th Avenue. And she is also, as if that weren't enough, she is Owner also... Owner of La Bernadette. She's, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I've been promoted. She's the, awesome. uh, she is the executive assistant to Eric Repair, uh, one of America's most well-known and successful chefs. Uh, and for good reason, a great guy. And uh, a remarkably talented individual in the food world, and a great manager. Which I think let's talk a little bit about the um, what really makes a great restaurant chef is not just that you know how to cook and have a good palate, but yeah, also your I, management capacity. Right, and I think that that's only as the industry's developed. I think that's only gotten more and more important. That it's used to be the chef was in the kitchen and that's all they had to deal with and now chefs have to deal with the media and the you know events and and run run the business and I think um that's one of Eric's strengths I think that he's a natural at managing people at understanding what people need in order to perform well and it's just been it's been amazing to be to see that evolution I've worked with him uh be seven years in August so yeah I've kind of seen that develop and then you know, we published a book last year called On the Line, which which the whole idea was to kind of document how we do it, uh, how he and Maggie do it. And um, yeah, so it's been it's been cool. And he has also been a wonderful mentor to chefs who have worked with him. I know, you know, personally speaking, um, when back when we were working with you uh, doing public relations, mm-hmm. um, Michael Vernon was a chef who came up through Le Bernardin, was a chef there for about seven years, and then went on to mm-hmm. open Geisha yeah. um, with the guys who own Serafina and was remarkably successful there. I'm not quite sure what Michael's doing right now, but um, he was just, I mean, his training was clearly impeccable. He had a great palate to start with, but he just really, he rocked that place. Yeah, it's, it's a discipline. It's you know it's it's the technical training, but it's the way I think that Eric cultivates creativity in the team, and he doesn't kind of just hold that role for himself. He involves all the sous chefs, and and they work on dishes together and collaborate. And then I think that you know grooms these chefs to be, then become executive chefs. You know we have three other restaurants that we're, we consult: um, one in Washington, one in Philadelphia, and one in the Cayman Islands. And at each of those, we've placed chefs similar to Geisha, where it's a chef that's come up through our ranks and then has been, you know, they've decided they're ready to, to move on. And, and it's, it's amazing to see those chefs developing as well. Um, yeah. Becoming, taking on that role of executives. One of the things that I think is most interesting about Le Bernardin is that unlike many of the other very popular restaurants uh, in um, in New York, uh, I'm thinking, or I should say chefs, one of the, you know, like Tom Colicchio or uh, Jean-Georges von Gerichten, who have opened restaurant after restaurant after restaurant around the country. And, you know, they, they get a big boost because they come from this fantastic provenance. And yet, um, you know, sometimes it's, I, you know, I personally would think it would be almost impossible to maintain the quality uh, with which your name is associated. Whereas Eric and Maggie have 
Hmm. stayed away from that model. And instead, what they do is they have a consulting business Mm -hmm. where they help a restaurant develop the best aspects that they can. But they are never part of Le Bernardin. Le Bernardin remains a brand unto itself. So what what other things do they have? Just for the record, you say this Cayman Island, they own that? No, they consult. Right. Le Bernardin is the flagship and there will never be another Le Bernardin and that's kind of their their baby and then what we've done is partnered with um, the Ritz-Carlton and the three restaurants that we operate are within the Ritz-Carlton so they handle the day-to-day and what Eric and his team does is create the menu um, advise on the decor and, and the service the uh, places the executive chef initially and then you know we he visits a number of times per year. And that's year usually and someone in-house who then gets sent out there. Exactly, for the initial uh, placement. So there's West End Bistro in D.C., and they're all a more casual context. How many are there all together? There's three. Okay. West End Bistro in Washington, um, Ten Arts, uh, Ten Arts by Eric Repair in Philadelphia, and then Blue by Eric Repair in uh, the Cayman Islands. I love that all of us in the Cayman Islands get thrown in there. That's so funny. <laughs> well, and that's, he, he likes the tropics. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and that's also really tough when you have to go visit that property. It's a, you know, especially in January, yeah. it's really it uh, a burden. Awful. Yeah, um, you I have can't to imagine. climb over uh, when you get off the plane. All those mounds of money that have been yeah. laundered at different places. It's very Why do you think we opened there? <laughs> no, but it's fun, and I think it works, and and it's an outlet for people on our team. You know, who who want to do something different or play with a different concept, and then. You know, it's just it's it's. But been at the same great. time, it's not Le Bernardin. So if it fails, well, you know, it's. Yeah, it's, it's not, not at the expense you're of not the mothership. Stigmatized, you know, yeah. the, the, the mothership is not stigmatized well, by the failure of the, lot re- of, re- of the restaurant. Chefs are tempted by that. You know, Alice Waters, I mentioned her earlier, is another one who's done very few things. I mean, mm-hmm. if you take away the schoolyards, you know, that she does, like the Martin Luther King Jr. schoolyard, I mean, she basically just has a breakfast spot called Cafe Fanny. And Chez Panisse. Yeah. That's it. And that's great. Well, I think you that's know, how you no maintain pots, quality. No pans, and also, nothing. I think it's how you maintain your enthusiasm for the actual business of your, whether it's your, you know, your restaurant Chez Panisse or Le Bernardin. I mean, because if you're spread out over 20 different restaurants and they all have your name on them and they're all, you know, they're all supposed to be spinoffs of your, you know, concept or whatever, I, I don't see how that stays fun. I think, I think that becomes like drudgery. Tough. And that's it's like a factory. For Eric personally, that's what he always says that he, you know, he just doesn't have the the personality to do 50 restaurants or whatever but i think some people do and that's that's great too it's just for us it's it's a a different a different model so Um, how do you navigate the politics i mean uh how do you navigate people like what's your secret i mean i'm back to that thing not the hug and release thing again but like you must have a lot of different personalities too how do you well, it's funny you mentioned politics because I actually worked in politics before coming into the restaurant. No office. kidding. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't worked know that, uh, really. in the Senate after after college. Yeah. Really? For who? Which <laughs> senator? Oh, senator Torricelli. Oh, really? <laughs> really. Um, Where is he from? Individual. Like Jersey. Jersey. Need I say more? But um, I, <laughs> I, I I found some similarities. Actually, there are you know different forces to navigate, and but I think at the end of the day, it's just treating people with decency and and it's a hospitality business you know it's very simple it's like you know treat people the way you want to be treated nice 
Um, and I think that works. Well, why do you think so many people don't do that, though? Because, I mean, honestly, we, we all have our horror stories about, you know, whether it's a high-end restaurant or, or a diner, you know, like that the hospitality seems to be the furthest thing from their mind. <laughs> well, I think a lot of it, come, you know, trickles down from Eric and Maggie and how they mm-hmm. treat each of us and, and the expectations expectations they have for our you know conduct and and their philosophy and then you know it's hard to go again if, if there's something positive if there's like a positive way of things being done you know you you want to achieve that you don't want to go against that god Absolutely. it makes me feel like the worst manager in the world oh stop it what are you talking about i'm like you're fired here like all those old like seven or fifties CEOs. Pack or your knives and go. Yeah, pack yeah. your knives and go. Although he does do some TV things. True, I mean, he has Avec Eric on yes. PBS, yes. which has done fact, very very we well. Just, Didn't you win an Emmy for that? We did. It's now the Emmy uh, Emmy winning series. That was he so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, he won an Emmy for it. Is that the show for which he went down to visit Alec Bradford's yes, farm? Yes, that's going to be in season two, which is airing Leaping November. Waters Farm. He visited and went down with. Sam Edwards, who's one of the founders of this network oh, how interesting. as well, yeah, a big founding sponsor. So when he had a great time there, I think he was amazed to see all the different gen- breeds of pigs oh, yeah. and cows and chickens and turkeys. And well, and also they- Alec is such an articulate and wonderful spokesman for the whole heritage. Absolutely, uh, for they the whole heritage. Kindly concept. sent some up to us, and so I actually got to taste uh, some of the product. It's yeah, amazing. Oh, yeah. The so. did you try any of the ancient White Park uh, cattle? Don't think so that's wow. actually supposedly richard the first was such a fan of ancient white park that he knighted the loin section which is where it got the name sirloin what no that's true that's what he says that is not true <laughs> that it was an ancient white park you could read about that. I'm, I mean, Google that. That's I'm not the only one Jack, to say that. Are you googling that for us now, Jack? Yeah. Could you vindicate me and <laughs> yeah, I, remember I that your paycheck has still not been signed? <laughs> <laughs> no, so, no. Be honest. So I, I the Avec Eric. Let's talk for a second about Avec Eric mm-hmm. because that was when I it's first still met Eric. Eric Repair. It's still Avec Eric. It's not <laughs> Avec Eric. No, je suis désolé. Avec Eric. Come on, if we're going to say avec, we have to People say... People won't know who we're talking about. Um, but the thing is, is that... First five Google results confirm this story to be true. Oh! oh! Okay, I stand first corrected. Five. Oh, you want to go top ten? But the first Google result is from Heritage Foods USA. So. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's a little suspect. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jack. Thank you, Jack. Um, the show... When I first met Eric all those years ago, which it must be about... Well, it was a couple yeah, years you before know, you longer, started yeah. working there. Absolutely. Um, and I was just a cub public relations, <laughs> uh, you know, wannabe at the time. And he hated coming out into the dining room. He didn't really want to connect with schmooze. his... Yeah, he was not a schmoozer. He was really quite retiring. He just really wanted to do his thing in the kitchen. Yeah. Well, and Maggie was the front the of the face. house and mm-hmm. she was the face of the restaurant. And it was really in that period, it was right after Kitchen Confidential and when chefs were suddenly really rocketing mm. into sort of the, the star chef thing. And Eric obviously was you know a good candidate for that, being remarkably attractive as well as incredibly talented. So, right, you know, he Katie, was, Jesus. I mean, oh, really? He always says he doesn't, doesn't help in the kitchens. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But in any case, um, it has been uh, quite an extraordinary transformation, sure. uh, a personal transformation for him to watch 
watch him evolve from, you know, being a really first-rate chef and manager into a public figure sure. at the level that he is now. You're not going to pronounce it television. public figure because it's Eric <laughs> Repair. You should. You should. It, by the way, Are I we just... Related? I don't know if I can trust Katie. Is it Maggie? Or is it just plain old Maggie? Um, no, it's Maggie because Maggie. it's M-A-G-U-Y. It should actually be Maggie. ma Right. It would Maggie. be the female form of Guy, the name Guy yeah. or Guy. Yeah, but Maggie. it's a lot of people always say guy. <laughs> she does not. Ouch. Like it. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> so yeah. someone once called Maggie. my mother Rini instead of Renee. Before. Yeah, because they didn't right. see the accent. Rini. Oh, Rini. I've known Rinis. Really? Yeah, there are Americans who call themselves Rini. Um, mm. But anyway, so how did that? How, what do you think? Uh, you know, where where did when did he start? Like really getting into well, that whole sort of public thing. A lot of chefs, or many chefs, they're in the kitchen. They're in that role because that's what they wanted to do. They didn't want to be shaking hands in a dining room. You know, they didn't see it as that. You know, being the role. But I think it's like you said, kind of an evolution and and realizing that that's part of the game in a way. It's you know, the, like you said, there's a greater interest in chefs. Your clients want to see you, mm-hmm. so you know you learn to to make it work and and make a balance and then. I think he just really enjoys, you know, being a presence in the media, and especially with Avec Eric, it's or Avec Eric. Thank um, you. No, thank you. Katie's I already so been much proven better. it wrong. Don't try he's to say it. Teaching Katie. in that show, you know, he's <laughs> yes. It's it's a real. He, I think as he's maybe progressed, he's enjoyed that role more, and that's how what he sees his role in the media as well. It's sort of giving information, teaching, mm-hmm. and not just self promoting or something. So I think maybe that's why he's evolved to the way he has, you know, from maybe not liking it or avoiding it to embracing it. Mm-hmm. Um, how, in in his show, I mean, you just mentioned that he went to Leaping Waters Farm, so that makes me think, like, is is part of the whole teaching thing uh, going to be uh, talking to Americans more about where they source their food, like how they get it, um, sure. thinking about, and, and why do you think there aren't more uh, top chefs like Eric who are, embracing that sort of Jean-Louis Paladin because I know he was good friends with yeah, Jean-Louis he for him, that yeah. Jean-Louis Paladin was one of the one of the first people to really encourage chefs to work with local farmers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, and that was a very important role in the Jean-Louis Paladin Foundation is something that Eric I know is very involved with um, so you know why is it that only Eric seems to be the one who's who's really working working that angle? I don't think he's the only one, but I think he's just chosen that to be kind of a focal point of the show, um, and just because of his own personal interests. You know, the whole uh-huh. show kind of grew out of the fact that every year he likes to go somewhere new and experience some new culture, or you know, meet an interesting producer and. It was kind of like, well, let's document this because maybe people want to see what that's like, you know, and then how that gets translated into inspiration for the restaurant. Um, So I don't know that it was kind of a deep philosophical thing. I think it's it's more just naturally derived from from what he was interested in. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, every every day we're working harder on the sustainability issues and trying to move closer and closer 
Well, it's very hard in a restaurant like Le Bernardin where people are, you know, there are specific things that people expect to get. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so negotiating or navigating, you know, disappointing your customers. Yeah, uh, especially when their goal is an epiphany. Yeah. That's hard. Right. They don't get an epiphany. But there are so many things that you really should not have on your menu anymore. Um, That's that's exactly what we're struggling with. I think that's a real conundrum for anybody who is a fish restaurant right now. How did he meet all of his uh, fishermen friends? Well, I think that's... So, Did he go out to the docks? And- well, Le Bernardin opened in 1986, mm-hmm. and he uh, his prede- predecessor was Gilbert Lacoste, who was the brother of Maggie. Um, and so he, he was a pioneer in developing those relationships mm. uh, back at that time. So in a sense, Eric inherited some of those, um, and obviously has continued them. But... You know, there's a guy named Rod Mitchell up in Maine uh, that we work closely with. There's there's That's a whole brown network. Um, brown trading, brown trading blue yeah. ribbon. You Damn, know, Katie. Well, I she worked knows. for Le Bernardin for several years. Really? Oh, yeah. That's how we know. That's each how other. we know each other. Because yeah. oh. uh, Rosemary and I did the public relations for the restaurant for about four years. That's cool. That's why I know That's so much about Eric. So, I mean, it's not because I'm it's a stalker. She, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thank God. Uh, we, Thank God Mandy can't be Frenchized anymore. It's already as French as Mandy. it can say. Mandy. <laughs> or Mindy. Mandy. Mindy. Mindy. Well, we're going to uh, take a, a break, and uh, Mandy's going to stay on, which is great. And we're also going to come on with Julia, one of From the employees top, only. That'll be fun. top young chefs great. in the world. Men can now be free. 
stone was rolled aside The king as a babe comes down He comes to do his perfect will Comes to die on Calvary's hill Believe and find salvation still The king as a babe comes down A shining star for all to see News that men can This is the main course on Heritage Radio Network. Um, I am your host, Katie Kiefer. Try not to forget it. Patrick Martins. Um, We are sponsored today by The Barter House, a wine distribution entity that supports uh, family vineyards and small bottlers from around the world. You can learn more about The Barter House by visiting their website at www.thebarterhouse.com. Um, our guest today is uh, has been Mandy Ozer. And before from that, Bernard it was Dan. Dave Arnold. Before that was Dave Arnold in our tribute to Michael, Michael Batterberry. And now we welcome to the studio Julia Yakshik. No, no. <laughs> well, it's good. Oh, okay. Okay, huh? You can try this. Yatsich. Yeah, pretty good. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Julia, you are from Employees Only Restaurant. Correct. And located, that is where on 10th We're on Hudson. Hudson, excuse and me. Right around Christopher. Between Christopher and West 10th, right? right? Exactly. And uh, it is a place that was started by uh, an old kind of founder of Pravda, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, With the Keith McNally Empire yep. in its early days. Five of them. Five of? Five partners oh. that... All stemmed from the McNally family. Oh, I and see. It's still five, it's still five partners now. Wow! Mm-hmm. And you're the I'm chef for them. I am fantastic. And what what's what's the ch- what kind of chow are you serving? Um, well, they're the only place with a certain cured meats platter. I know that. Like they're the only place in the city I've ever seen that celebrates. Where is it? Eastern um, European. Eastern European. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind that's of cool. that's where I come well my father comes from and uh-huh. two of the owners because oh, your dad was a butcher right uh-huh. and he's from Croatia Love and that. two of the owners one's from Serbia and one's from Bosnia so that's what kind of brought me into that family absolutely and um, they allow me to use you know what I was brought up what with. you grew up on yeah, yeah. Excellent. and so what are what are some of the uh, of the of the standard you know, cured meat products that are popular in that um, part of the world. Well, I use... Which was formerly known as Yugoslavia. I, yes, it was. Just for those of you who are geographically <laughs> challenged. Um, <laughs> which, even that, people are like, where, where is that? Yeah. So, other side of Italy. Yeah, it's um, on the other side of the Adriatic yeah, from Italy. they go there a lot. The Italians yeah. often go there. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Dalmatian coast And it's getting Yugoslavia really popular is, now. It's really, really, really famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go now. Um, so I use um, I actually use a butcher in Astoria and he does cool. a lot of traditional cured meats one of them uh, one of my favorites is called Kulin 
and kulin is a pork sausage with paprika and garlic uh-huh. and kind of it's almost like I like to describe it as the chorizo of Eastern Europe almost and they use it to cook like a good analogy yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what makes it different like what do they do to it uh, that makes it different from it's for just, instance a chorizo it's well it's it's much 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 bigger mm-hmm. and um, a lot of paprika a lot, a lot of paprika. Which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite flavors. I love yeah. paprika Me in too. all its many, many forms. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so it's, and you use that in like soups and stews and... Right now, I've used it in dishes, but right now we're just doing it on the charcuterie board. Uh-huh. And um, Oh, so you can slice it thin mm-hmm, like a mm-hmm. salami. Absolutely, yeah. Oh. And, uh, but yeah, the thing that I love, I mean, my dad and my uncle have smokehouses and I kind of grew up learning and smoking meats and uh the eastern european stuff it's all salted really heavy and then smoked really heavy so Uh it's pretty intense so give us some other features of the traditional Um, eastern european cured there's a pechenitsa which is pork loin that's just put in salt for a few days and then smoked and super lean um and i'm doing this uh meat right now it's a rolled basically rolled pork belly that they cook and then roll in paprika and ground chili flakes and then smoke and slice thinly. So So it's like a different type of pancetta. Right, right, right. So it's a little smoked like a bacon, Mm -hmm. but it's heavily seasoned. Yeah, and it's... That sounds fabulous. And then you slice it thin and fry it like a bacon? No, just eat it. Oh, eat it out of hand. Wow, Mm -hmm. fabulous. Mm -hmm. That sounds amazing. Mandy, you do like some charcuterie boards at at Ardesia. Yeah, our chef, Emirat Casal, she's pretty passionate about charcuterie as well um more in the italian you guys make style. a lot of your own charcuterie all don't of you? it all of it yeah oh, I didn't the mortadelle that. the pancetta yeah she's a wow. little machine the you know the duck but um i'm so fascinated to hear about this these products because i never come across them i'm gonna have to come check it out yeah we'll have to it's check funny. it out it's because interesting, though, it is, the same, we don't see the yeah well the same necessity of surviving the winter exactly had these different iterations just across a mountain range or whatever people did it different it mm-hmm. gave it different tastes and all that and yet it was just trying to save meat yeah it's February, all about preserving March, meat after the know? autumn harvest yeah, yeah. Right, right. exactly right it was your best chance of surviving yeah and it's interesting because there's in at least the part of the world where my family comes from there's certain things you have to eat with the charcuterie so there's this uh, uh, red pepper puree uh, that everybody every family has their own recipe it's called Ivar and sometimes there's roasted eggplant or roasted carrots and that's you mean it wouldn't be right for you to eat smoked meats without that you know it's kind really? of like a spread hand in hand. so it's a little yeah. condiment right, right do you spread it on bread or it's you dip yeah. your you dip your piece of sausage in it or i think it's a kind of a little bit of a choose your own adventure everybody does it their own way uh-huh. <laughs> i gotta check this out it sounds great i love totally. stuff like that <laughs> and what are your what are the main courses that you guys focus on so it's all eastern european dishes primarily um, or you do yeah, a, like a you rest- menu you country hop yeah, country hop. It's <laughs> a rustic European. I mean, uh-huh. one of the one of the uh, things the owner at, owners asked when I started was to make food heavy enough to soak up the alcohol because our drinks are pretty potent. Because you know, uh, Employees Only <laughs> is of one of the greatest be? bars. <laughs> <laughs> she says, raising a glass. Tell me all about yeah, that. You're breaking up, Katie. <laughs> 
Well, you know, Employees Only is a great bar. I mean, they had these two guys, uh, one of whom just moved to Texas, but uh, who had these handlebar mustaches, and they ran really a great bar, which I judge by, you know, obviously the quality of the drinks. I think they were one of the first people to do, to do like, the Pisco Sour, mm-hmm. to bring back energy to that drink. And they had great face recognition. So if they saw you in the corner mm-hmm. of the bar, you know, they would, uh, you know, honor that you know um frequent visitor you know situation which is great because of course if you go to a place a lot you want to be recognized so in fact that was one of my questions to you was it hard to you know make a name for cuisine in a place that had originally been known as a bar yeah absolutely i feel the yeah all the recognition was at the bar at first and it's taken it's taken a while to kind of get people to come come in and also i'm with all the cocktail with the cocktail explosion in new york Mm -hmm. it's you know we're kind of full service and we offer a a full dinner menu and a late night menu that runs until four. So to get people to realize that you can come and have amazing cocktails, but also food to go with it, where I feel a lot of the cocktail places are doing small bites, you know, not, Full, full meals, yeah. yeah. Full restaurants. Pork so. chops or uh, Pork steak chops, tartare yep. or <laughs> big steak tartare. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The stuff that really, that's right, it really soaks it up. It's like, um, what was that famous brasserie in Paris that was like the late night? Le Pied de Cochon. Mm-hmm. Same idea. Right. Choucroute, mm-hmm. r- you know, duck confit, like really big, yeah. heavy dishes that would, you know, at the end of the night, you go there for an onion soup with right, cheese right. and bread and right. then you have something. Yeah. Yeah, I think 80% of my men use meat. Wow. Yeah. Well, we love that. Heritage so, Foods USA. Well, she's a supporter of ours. She's always maintained the uh, the bacon slab, the ground pork, and the porterhouse oh, yeah. pork chops. Yeah. So now tell me a little bit about growing up. You did a great video, which I saw. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Um, it was a little bit, I guess, going hunting and then right. coming back to your parents' place and curing some of the stuff yeah, you had yeah. killed. Awesome. Get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Pretty badass. You, yeah, really? You mean you can shoot and um, cook? I tried to shoot i don't know yeah well you she saw didn't it. look so <laughs> we can all try baby we can't all hit the mark i'm gonna practice i'm gonna practice that um yeah it was kind of uh yeah growing up um so my dad is a butcher shop and um where is this in milwaukee in milwaukee, mm-hmm. in milwaukee and uh yeah so he does a lot of game butchering and then during the summer he does uh kind of a catering business where you know pig and lamb and chickens on spit so you know, my first job was sewing a pig to a spit. And, um, oh, you have to was, sew it on. Yeah. Well, that's no what kidding. they do. Yeah, it's weird. And it's very old world. They only use salt. And wow. my dad watches some of these barbecue shows. And you know, he's like, what are these What are these people doing putting this liquid in these animals? And I mean, what is Stephen Reichland is not the guru that he thinks he is. <laughs> yeah, to each his own. But yeah. Your dad should get guy. his own show. Yeah. yeah, really. If you can understand him. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's for, he is from the old yeah, country. Yeah, he is from so. the old country. And are, do you speak, it's Serbian? Is Croatian. Or you, Croatian. Sorry, Croatian. Um, uh, yeah, I, I understand more than I speak. But yeah, it's nice to yeah. keep those languages yeah, up, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. did you grow up in that? Was it a solder house also, or just a cure? Would like did they? It was, yeah, it was just um, it was just a butcher. It wasn't. Or so, and what did they do? Like, did you grow up in that? Literally, as a five-year-old, as a seven-year-old? Yeah, like I mean, the, so so the his shop was seasonal. So, but yeah, I'm, from as far back as I can remember, you know, just grinding meat. Like, I was obsessed with the the huge meat grinder they had so mm-hmm. you know grinding deer into hamburger you know those kind of things are my growing up memories it and is interesting to come that up with smaller the right mix. butcher yeah. shops i mean like when you go upstate and people 
um, they often, if they have any meats at all, they will often have a sign that says we also process game. Mm-hmm. So because they're, I guess, certified by the USDA or whatever, right. they have the HACCP regulations in place, whatever that is. Um, but that's like a big part of their business yeah, because yeah. if you're in a small town, it's hard in Milwaukee, I imagine. But when it's you say that he was a seasonal business, you mean he actually closed the business for when a couple months out of every season? year? Yeah, and then he did. I mean, then in the summers they would do. My my uncle has a uh, farm upstate, so they would go and slaughter once a year. And um, but yeah, then he would have the summertime spit roasting business uh-huh. you know, and which was what would go around milwaukee for parties and yeah stuff. and it's interesting i mean he's still doing it today and it's you know gained a lot a lot of popularity and so now he's doing picnics and you know he'll have i'll go and visit and he'll have three jobs in one day so my brothers have been roped into the business <laughs> for the summer and uh yeah it's do they have like a twenty thousand dollar option if you come in from New York? <laughs> I don't know. We need to talk to him about that. That's a great idea, though. Hey, Julia, um, does he do? Is he like jumping on this whole sort of locavore bandwagon? Is he trying to use farms close? I mean, because there's a lot of livestock farming up yeah, in Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, the right? thing is, like, so. I don't think he even thinks about that because right. they've always done it that way i mean so he has relationships with farmers that he's had for yeah years and then most and of it is from my uncle's farm and he, when ah, my uncle he uh he's bypassed it all yeah, yeah he and he actually doesn't really he just was already there yeah he doesn't really live up there he has there's a huge amish population hmm. so he just okay. kind of employs all these amish people to watch oh. his animals and whatnot and he has i don't know what he has now he has gosh I don't he's like i'm gonna remember. pay you four cents for your work today. <laughs> That's right. Just two more cents and I usually pay Nana. <laughs> but I think his his I'm trying to remember that video that you watched. He kinda he was the guy holding the sausage and uh, he cures he, he has I don't even know how many a few different smokehouses now and uh, he makes his you know, he has his three kinds of sausage that mm-hmm. he makes and at one point in the video he holds it up, he's like, There is no garbage in this. This is pork Salt, garlic. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> you know? a, yeah, yeah. For him, it's a great advertisement. <laughs> it is. But what does your family think of you becoming a chef? Are they? Oh, my, are they happy? Well, I I went to culinary school when I was uh, twenty, so I kind of went to college for a few years and then started doing computer stuff. And when I decided, my dad was horrified. Really? What are you doing? Don't do this, you know. Oh, because of course, as an immigrant, you would think that anybody who stays in those old ways is yeah. not. Isn't that interesting that that paradigm holds mm-hmm. true from generation to generation? Like, if you're an immigrant, you want to see your kid like, like go, go into like what's and, like you know the American dream yeah, instead absolutely. of recognizing that what they do is He's like, every beautiful. bit is viable and, <laughs> and vital to the American. And I think dream. it took him a few years. I mean, when I probably like four or five years in. I think when I moved out here and he came and saw what I was doing out here for the first time, he was like, okay, hmm, you know. And when I took him to his first four-star dinner. Where was that? um, To Charlie Trotter's in Chicago. Chicago. He, um, yeah, I think he was a little bit mind-blowing. This is, what? You'll have to take him to Le Bernardin the next time. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Really, because that is a very special experience. Has he been to your restaurant? Yeah, he's the employees. And what does he say? Like, is does he say, "Oh, you should do this different," or that guy in Astoria isn't doing it um, right? No, he actually loves the Kulin from Astoria. He okay. every time I come to Milwaukee, I have to bring it with me. And um, yeah, it's funny because I bring meat there, and then I come home with a bunch of meat. And I actually, my uncle is the worst. When I go to his house, he's giving me 
I always have to pay extra when I take it home, and I've oh. I've created this whole process now because I was always, you know, the I used to carry it on. So I didn't have to pay, and I would always be the one in the plane, and the smell would slowly, it's <laughs> so, so smoked, and it would slowly seep out. And I'd be yeah. Like, oh, God. <laughs> Just be glad it wasn't stinky cheese. But now, now that my dad has, like, this, you know, you know, crazy vacuum pack machine, I can just go and vacuum oh, nice. pack it before. But before I was like, plastic wrap. Aluminum foil, plastic wrap, aluminum oh, foil, oh, yeah. plastic, you know, Ziploc bags, like trying to. Yeah, yeah. You could put the and weed very in heavily there too. Like, give me your so weed, funny. give me your cured meats, yeah. I'll yeah. get you through. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll come back with one segment, uh, one more segment with these two guys, and then uh, Jack is going to come on, although he might not know this yet, and give us a brief summary of the fact that we're at 22 shows now on the network. Fantastic. Some of our, some of our best ones, Beautiful like newsletter Flash this week, by Yeah, the way. great job, yeah. Jack. You have a great editor in me. (laughs) So easy to get lost in, caught in a game that's played, but you'll wake someday to find your just remain silent for this segment it's safer that way a meditative segment. yeah well we've had a moment to discuss the next segment so this is the main course on heritage radio network our guests today are mandy ozer from ardesia wine bar in manhattan as well as uh, le bernardin and uh, julia y- yachik Got it, good right? Job. That was yeah. good, right? Yeah. Katie um, has been uh, either rolling only. R's for uh, Julia or like <laughs> adding a Y to is... words for Mandy. I've always had a great, I'm, I, I've always been a good mimic. And I think it's because when I was a very little girl, my family moved to Europe for a year. And first I had to learn Italian. And then we left Rome and we went to Spain for six months. And I had to learn Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so when I came back to the States, of course, I forgot both languages. But somehow 
the sort of neural pathway had been mm-hmm. forged for me to like really be able to mimic you're a great follower well. and imitator mm-hmm. I'm a great follower and imitator it's absolutely true <laughs> you're a great lamb <laughs> goes with the... a sheep yes. well, what no, is your power a, animal let's call me a gerbil no. let's go that real fast my power animal I've been told is a goat a little mischievous a <laughs> uh, little survivor a little gets everything done and, and does it so what would you guys say do you guys know who your true power animal is how do you find that out is there like an app to well, find yeah, that yeah, out <laughs> I, well, one of my what favorite animals be? is an otter because they. Oh, that, that could be your power sweet. animal. Yeah, because they, um, you know, they uh, they move through situations very fluidly. They they change the course of mighty rivers, and yet they're well, very I don't genteel. Well, if they do that, that would be a beaver. But um. oh. <laughs> all right, your animal just cracked Going nuts on its yeah. belly. I think <laughs> that's right. <laughs> But I think the moving through situations fluidly, uh, you know, like air is liquid kind of thing, that, that would definitely describe sort of my okay. my ethos. Yeah. Do you guys have power? I mean, it's a good question to think it's about because it's truly your animal most of the time. Yeah, it's like a like a bird or a fish. Or something, I was gonna say you know? maybe a chicken for you, Mandy, because you lay all these. You lay all. These, you know, she's got her various clutch of eggs that she's nesting. That's a good one. That's a good. You one. know, she's nurturing all these different eggs. Well, what's the equivalent of a Gemini in the animal world? You know, somebody who's trying Actually, to do fifteen Gemini things at once. Gemini does not. Gemini is a June baby. I think my daughter mm-hmm. is a Gemini. Oh, yeah? yeah, June fourth. When's your birthday? June fourteenth. Ah, uh, you yeah. are Aquarius. Cancer. Cancer. Me too. Crabby. <laughs> yeah. But not crabby in temperament. No. So, um, well, one of the things we were talking the about the break, like, is it difficult to be a, uh, you know, woman in the food industry? Is yeah. it still a male-dominated world, or is things not as, you know, segmented as they were maybe in the 50s or 60s or before? So, you know, I'll throw that question to both of you, uh, Julie and Mandy, like, what's it like being a woman in the, and successful in the food world and leaders in the food world? Um, well, I, you know, I get this question a lot, I have to admit. Uh, and I feel a little biased because I grew up with five brothers and a father, and <laughs> I, I've always kind of lived a tomboy life. So uh, I've, I'm, I've never really, I mean, Maybe every once in a while, I mean, you're in a kitchen and you experience a little bit of male ego, but it hasn't really been, I don't know what your experience has been. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little different, too, because I haven't been in a kitchen, uh, working in a kitchens, and I think that's maybe where those issues come into play more. Um, you mean like getting backed over a freezer and the walk-in and dry umped or something just for fun? Yeah, Although right. I have been a waitress <laughs> in many, many establishments where such things have happened. Um, but no, I think, like you said, it's, you know, it. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think you just have to do what you're doing and do your right. work on your merits and right, right, right. not think man or woman. Like, are you good at what you do? Are you capable um, and maybe it gets a little, again, a little more challenging for a working female chef, you know, when they decide they want to have a child or something. Yeah, because that's what, that was where I wanted to go. Was like, how does child? Because you're both of the childbearing age. Um, how does Katie, that? You were back uh, during back the American the, Revolution. The yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah, the previous millennium, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but this is our long-standing joke. Face this issue too yourself. Being well, no, I was not really working in the kitchen. I mean, my my kitchen time was very limited because, mm-hmm. frankly, I hated working in restaurants. So, but it is true that once I had a baby, 
that was it for me mm-hmm. and, and cooking professionally. I just mm-hmm. couldn't manage, um, partly because I was a caterer and um, and so it was sort of that feast or famine uh, time frame when you're catering, it's like one week you're going to work 80 hours right. and the next week you're going to work 12 right. um, or none, right. <laughs> depending yeah, on how much your absolutely. phone rings. And so for me, you know, like getting childcare in place and all that kind of stuff, just was it just wasn't happening. I couldn't right. manage it. So I thought, well, and, well and screw just it. Benefits. With restaurants, you know? Yeah, I mean, right. healthcare and restaurants. And- yeah, right, and exist mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. So, um, so for me, it wasn't an issue, but, uh, but certainly for a lot of people who, you know, especially women who own their own restaurants um, or who are the, you know, the, the executive chef or whatever, you know, it's got to be, uh, the only person I really know, uh, and I don't know her well at all, but uh, is Gabrielle Hamilton at Prune, who I think has negotiated that fairly gracefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but her I'm, kid works the line or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, at you know at a year, a year and a half. I mean, you know, or is folding napkins at least. I mean, <laughs> I think she worked very far into her. Pregnancy. She worked practically um, until she. It was sort of like that Monty Python movie where they, you know, the woman's washing dishes and right. the meaning of life, and she drops the baby <laughs> while she's standing at the kitchen sink. <laughs> but I think. I think people like that are what are helping sort of put the stereotypes behind and maybe not everyone's going to be able to do that or, but you know, that's just a great example. Yeah, but I wouldn't want to do that, I guess is my point. And I think that what makes it hard for women is that you are divided between your desire to, you know, have the baby and actually raise it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, have a hand in its making, at least for the first couple of years. I mean, after that, you know, okay. And once they're teenagers or whatever you have no input anyway so it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) let them go (laughs) it's like you know you're over by the time they're about 11 or 12 (laughs) that is true but um you know i i you know i think it's a really tough way it's very hard to and it's this is not just in the culinary world but in in the whole world of business it's like that that is a, is a fabulous excuse not to promote women or to expect well, because they're the going to rise and rise and rise equal to men, but then when they have the baby, but then they're they want to have a baby and it's like for okay, bye bye. The, the restaurant progresses and changes and right. new hierarchies are put in place. I mean, yeah, it's and a new tough politics thing. and new political. Right. Uh, and people are like, who are you? Where have you been for the past two yeah. years? It must be hard to come back in and, right. and remain on top. Yeah, so how are you going to do it, girls? <laughs> What's the plan? Especially for you, Julia, because you well, actually no, Julia, are writing, Julia, employees only, as great as she is, that's one of probably many things that you're end up ending. Right. I mean, you're not an owner in it, right? I mean, I'm a partner. Oh, you are a partner am, in it. Yeah. Oh, I see. So that's very different. Yeah. So uh, actually, you could take a, you could step back because you could train a chef, make yeah, them your yeah, clone, and, and you could still oversee them with the baby on your hip. Because yeah, you wouldn't you know. have to be working the line <laughs> until one o'clock in the morning, right. or three, or whatever time <laughs> when your the crazy restaurant sleeping, closes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, and I think I've been fortunate enough to have a staff that's been with me for a really long time and have really loyal. Which, since people. you're twelve, must be really extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I mean. Patrick brought up the video and there's a few projects I've been working on and um, and that's exciting because that these you are the should things, be on TV these are the things that make me grow as a chef and and but I've been able to really still stay in the restaurant but do these other things and you know when you build a trust with your team uh, and everybody's on uh, the same level I think it kind of allows you to do 
more and more. Well, know. that I think is what has happened at Le Bernardin with Eric, because we were saying before you came in that I've known the restaurant Le Bernardin for a long time, mm-hmm. and so I saw a real evolution in Eric's career from being you know very much hands-on in the kitchen to very much like out there doing a million mm-hmm. different things, Absolutely. whether it's the consulting or the television show or writing the books or whatever. And so he has developed, obviously, what you're talking about, which is a team that he really trusts and who trust him to you know, like have the right ideas Absolutely. or foster mm-hmm. them or allow yeah. them to express their creativity. I think yeah. that must be and one of the biggest challenges. Absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, along with all the food aspects of it, being a chef is, you know, there's a managerial side of it, you know, and it's um, definitely for me going into it, I felt a weight in a way of taking care of these people that work mm. for me and take care of me. And I think it's a kind of a two way street in that way. And um, yeah, it just, i definitely did the learning curve on hiring and how to hire and how not to hire and I think when you yeah you just build a team that that is loyal and is communicative and people you can trust and I think that's what helps you how have you done that I mean how what's your style like in terms of managing like do you have do you feel like you have a philosophy or yeah absolutely and it's I was just talking to someone the other night about how just the different styles and I think I like to I love teaching and um, I try to teach as many cooking courses as I can but I think it stems from being in the kitchen and taking people you know dishwashers who you know you see it in their eye when they're watching what the salad guy is doing and you know and to be able to take people that have a genuine interest and passion and bring them up you know I've guys that started out as porters that are now on my hotline and that are amazing cooks you know that's amazing and you know, it's taken a few years, but, you know, it's their passion and interest that kind of drives them. And, I mean, that's... I also know people who believe that they hire people and they're good at what they do and they don't want them to do anything else except for what they're good at, mm-hmm. you know? But mm-hmm. I think if you give people opportunity, they appreciate that, mm-hmm. and that comes back to you, you know? What about when people screw up or when you have to discipline? The then she berates work? them. <laughs> <laughs> then she and gets I out lock the them in the walk-in. nine tails and <laughs> that's puts on the thigh-high boots. <laughs> There's going to be some ball-breaking now. Out comes the whips. <laughs> no, I mean, the the... I think the great thing is is that when someone messes up I mean this is again with the trust and the communication and the the uh you know you someone reacts better to knowing that you're disappointed in them mm-hmm. rather than you know, yelled getting at yelled at yeah so and I think that's what makes your team stronger you know when mm-hmm. someone messes up and feels bad about it mm-hmm. you know then that's yeah, good. they I are going to pay attention. Drew Carlo Petrini, who I was the only guy I ever really saw manage, you know, like <laughs> for two years we were sitting desk to desk, and he would just yell at the person, but in in a way that had a certain degree of sympathia to it, you know, mm-hmm. that the person would leave there, he'd be like. Jesus friggin' Christ, what the hell is Mother Mary gonna force me to deal with this idiocy of all the things? A person would leave with their head down, but always wanna end up coming back, you know? Right. But, and doing better. Yeah, they would always do better because they were happy to be part of the team and the energy. Right, but, right. you know, Carlo had either on or off. He was either yelling or he was like right. telling some story in front of 50 people. You I know? mean, I think my style is just, I, I think it's really important for that person to know what they did wrong. You know, to mm-hmm. really understand. Maybe that's my Cancerian 
mother nurturing side. I don't know. That's but, right. Absolutely. <laughs> You're what now? Kazarian? She's Kansarian. from a can- oh, she's, cancer. Her <laughs> astrological sign is cancer. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think, I really think a lot of mistakes are based in miscommunication, you know? Yes, they are, with, with uh, unexpressed expectation. Absolutely. How many people yeah. do you manage? I mean, how many people are you responsible for? Um, I guess I have around 12 people. Wow. How about you? I mean, I mean, it's about 8 to 10 at the bar, all wow. told. Wow. It's, not easy. it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. It is hard because you're not there all the time yeah. either, which I think would add a special challenge. I mean, you do have three other partners, mm-hmm. Mandy, but um, that uh, fragmented management style is also very got to be very, very one of the biggest challenges. Yeah, it's just all about communication, and then yes. also putting a lot in the hands of Emirate in terms of her direct staff, and that's your sure. chef. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but what about your house manager and stuff like that? I mean, so you have to really trust them to exactly. do what you want and to translate to be able to translate your expectations into the wait staff. And I think what you just said about, uh, you know, being unexpressed, you know, wishes or communicate. I mean, I think that's key. I think it's all communication. And if you don't tell somebody what you want from them yeah, and then they don't deliver, well, that's your fault then for not, mm-hmm. you know, being very clear. So that's, that's something we work really hard on. By the yeah. way, this is exactly the same lesson to draw in terms of child rearing. <laughs> no, but I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, fundamentally, every human being requires, if there are going to be expectations placed upon them, they must be clearly expressed. And absolutely. it is exactly the same with kids. Mm-hmm. If you don't express to them what your behavior, what their your expectations for their behavior are, then you are going to have a child who's out of control. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with, with any other uh, management and issue. Leading by example. Yeah. You know, if you, mm-hmm. if, if yeah, you if show you fly people off how the handle, they should behave, right, yeah. right, right, and, right. you know, treat people the way you want to be treated, you know, all these sort of basic... Yeah, I feel, I feel fortunate that I had... I get like an F in all of these. <laughs> Actually, you're pretty good at, it, at expressing your expectations. Um, oh, now, I work you. for Patrick now. <laughs> this is my, my new gig is a part-time job Two days with Harry's Foods. I can ask Katie to write anything. I'm like, we need to remind people to shut the <laughs> to, windows before yeah, they to leave. to blow their nose. Like, ahoy okay. for the veils of And then I, I write some absolutely inor- you know, ludicrous... No, it's not ludicrous. I mean, you know, it's like, but it's all translated through the mission statement of Heritage Foods USA. I've always got like a little I, a little message there. She's great at getting the message, but then she'll Subversive. get the farmer's name wrong. Like instead of Amy, she'll say Helen or something. And I'm like, what? Details, details, Patrick. We don't care. No, it's Katie can write anything. She's amazing. Well, thank you. She has a great yeah, vocabulary. For my article for Food Arts Magazine, which has been languishing on my desktop. Now. What now? What is that? That's on brisket or no? That's ribs. On, oh, I'm on so ribs. bored ribs. that I could kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and actually, in the time that I, since I got the assignment to write about ribs, and now, it's no longer ribs, it's shoulder. <laughs> I, I have a newsflash uh, for food arts. It's, it's not about ribs anymore, ribs because it's taken me so long to write this. <laughs> We're on a new we trend. We've moved on to a, a new, new trend. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, now that Michael is gone, I probably will never get another assignment from them, because I'm always late with my articles. They hate me. <laughs> well, just tell them they're worth the wait. You know? Yeah, well, actually, my last one, to tell you the truth, did make the cover. Well, kick that's happened really? twice for me. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank good you. For yeah. you. It wasn't me. It was because it was a really good picture of Waldy Maloof. <laughs> <laughs> Not since Whatever it the takes. Uh, invention of the printing press, which you were also around for. I was responsible a, uh, in large measure for that. A cover yeah. article. That's pretty cool. <laughs> No, so, um, well, this has been a great show. This is actually our final show together, Katie, until... Until September, yeah. You go to Rhode Island, I'm huh? leaving for Rhode Island on Tuesday, immediately after Michael Batterberry's funeral, which I will 
run down the details for, but I certainly want to attend that. I, unlike yourself, I'm a firm believer in uh, nah. observing the obsequies. No, that's interesting. Um, if I only mean, to uh, pay homage to um, to Ariane and let her know how much her husband. Well, was that loved. I would. That would be the one reason I would go. Yeah, absolutely. You're only going for the people who are left. Michael doesn't give a shit. Yeah, he's just <laughs> uh, he's just dirt now. Unfortunately, I've always wanted to think that they have a separate life and blah blah blah. But you know, probably his legacy is what he's done already. So um, anyway, well, um, then when do you get back from? Uh, is it Labor Day? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I have to go to Chicago for my pork crawl on September second. What's that about? Uh, well, that was a food arts assignment. They um, they're basically sending me out to schmooze the pork board so oh, that they will advertise more with food arts. Which, and that's the kind of thing I'm good at because I really like the meat industry and I've actually managed she was to a educate for myself. A number of years. Oh, but you even also as a PR butcher, yeah, bring it all together. Yeah, all I mean, cuts. I have the butchering background, but I didn't really know anything about the meat industry then. Right, right. Um, and in fact, uh, it's funny because at the time we used to boast about, you know, where does your beef come from? It's from Montfort of Colorado. Well, I subsequently learned that Montfort was the first confined area feeding operation in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and they just got a big Oopsie. award from the NCBA, but I mean, you know, it was like, okay, yeah, maybe we're. <laughs> so um, anyway, but I do. I have followed the industry with great attention over the last few years, and um, and so now they style me as their resident meat expert. They just give me all the meat stories to write, so which is great. Are you that. ever going to not come back? I mean, you're still happy doing radio, right? This would be your time to announce your impending non-arrival. Uh, no, I'm sorry to say, Patrick, if you're trying to get rid of me, no, no. quite the opposite. <laughs> not going to happen. You are uh, the you show. You are stuck with me. So I no, didn't know I'm, if you were going to announce like you wanted your own show on the network. Absolutely not. Are you kidding? <laughs> well, we're, we're in, we want to be NPR bound. Damn it. We have gotten the best talent of the food world to come on week in and week we out. Have. We get the, you especially get the best out of them. I mean, a show like today really, really is an example. I mean, Mandy and Julia. And, well, Mandy uh, and Julia, I hope you'll both come back, yeah. you know, again really and again, you. because... You know, part of what I like about the show is that we can bring people back to talk about what's happening in the industry. And you're both Mm -hmm. industry experts. They need to be familiar with the issues, not just hear it once in some four-minute skit and then we don't cover the issue again for a year. Well, I'm happy to come back and not play my weird Croatian instrument like the last time I was here. (laughs) I remember that. That was on the Eat to the Beat, right? Cool. And maybe we could do, you know, was it like a bazooki? It's it's called a tamboritza, and it's kind of a cross between a ukulele and a mandolin. And I hadn't played oh. for a long time. And Sarah, I don't know how she did it, but got me here only after a week of practice. And I really hope my tamboritza teacher didn't hear that. Don't worry, it's he, been permanently. We should mention that um, Sarah Obritus has just in the last month opened her fantastic M Wells, which M. I've Wells heard unbelievable Diner, things which has about. gotten wonderful yeah. reviews. Yeah, totally, and uh, is something that everybody should make a pilgrimage out to. And it's a great breakfast lunch there. place. Yeah, yeah, we should have like a staff party there. We should definitely do that. <laughs> and bring it to do right it now. Maybe even do it. Yeah, yeah right now. <laughs> Let's get in the car. I don't think they're <laughs> open go. on the weekends. Yeah. Wow, what a luxury! They, you know, that's that's, that's doing it, it right for restaurants, right. man. So no you dinner, can have your no life weekends. and eat it too. Wow. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Oh, man. Well, um, yeah, this has been a great show, and um, yeah, well, we've had some great. You know, we want to be on NPR. We feel like this uh, food is uh, is a real legitimate issue that needs to be covered in a serious way, not just in a starlight. You know, oh, it's this not is just the most about what chef or, is doing. What this guy yeah. got eliminated about which from I a competition. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot more to food. 
food. And, you know, Michael Batterberry was a real inspiration. And actually, one of the best ideas from today's show is that there's newfound the energy museum. for a food museum with yeah. Dave Arnold. So maybe you ladies want to help. Uh, yeah, be on be the board of the food of, museum. Uh, you're already inviting people to be on the board. <laughs> <laughs> When's well, the um, opening party? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Excellent question. So um, we'll be we'll back be in a second. We're going to go through a brief, since it's a seminal moment, Katie's taking her summer break in Rhode Island. We're going to go yeah. through uh, some of these awesome new shows that the network has just brought on, like That's Flash right. Fleming Accounting Show. Yeah, we have some amazing talent. Beer Sessions. Yeah. Shows like that. And Dave Arnold with Cooking Issues. Oh, my God. That's That's like one of the most listened to radio shows anywhere through his iTunes Yeah, to tell you the truth, he's the one who's going to get picked up by NPR. Yeah, he should be. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, Mandy Ozer. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Yeah, Um, From Employees Only, Mandy from Ardesia on uh, 52nd and 10th. And uh, we'll welcome you back anytime you say. Awesome. Talk to you soon.
We're back on the main course. This has been a very exciting show. We had uh, Dave Arnold who came to do um, pay tribute to um, an appreciations to Michael Batterberry who lived a very great life. Um, a great contributor of food, really, on the level of James Beard, of Jean-Louis Paladin. Well, for people who don't know Michael Batterberry, he and his wife Ariane started Food & Wine magazine, uh, kept it going for about 10 years, then sold it to American Express. It took them seven years seven to years raise the money. Seven years to get the, the funding for yeah. this, and so. then subsequently uh, founded the wonderful magazine Food Arts, which is a restaurant trade magazine that uh, really anybody who's interested in food should be subscribing to. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's not recipe-driven, but it is absolutely industry-driven. It's all all about the trends, the new talent, uh, the new things that are happening in the food industry. Um, Michael and his wife, Ariane, and his wonderful staff, and I can't say enough about how great, you know, the managing editor, Beverly Stephen, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Porras, who runs the culinary portion. I know Jim, All the, the really great, great people who work at Food Arts Magazine, and who, by the way, scoop the mainstream media again and again and again and get no credit for it, but they really have their finger <laughs> on the They get no credit for sc- screwing the media. For scooping. <laughs> scooping Within the media no one's like we got scooped yeah right no, exactly but, um, and then we had uh, Mandy Ozer from La Bernadette and Ardizia and then we had Julia Jachik from uh, Employees nice. Only and now we have the executive producer of Heritage Radio Network he's everything Our but the visionary behind only. it <laughs> So when are, when are we going to uh, sell to American Express? When will we be sold to American Express? Well, it's just well, a matter it took of time. Michael and Ariane about ten seven years. years so. Is that what it took? Yeah, seven years. But then they <laughs> but got. But look what uh, happened. So yeah. now, uh, give us a little state of the union. I mean, as uh, Katie's about to leave for uh, four weeks or so, um, and you forget all well, about me. I was, the, I was uh, so deeply moved by your um, hug and release at eleven years old advice for child raising that I think we should have a show called Raising Kids with Katie Kiefer. Kiefer, Kiefer. I think that. Should should be the spin-off I show. It could be called 10 Years In and Out. <laughs> By the time they're 10, ten years all out. in, done. <laughs> no, but um we are we are thriving lately and uh, the latest show Flash Talks Cash with um Joanne Flash Fleming has gotten great reviews from some of our listeners. Oh, she is a pistol. She's good. With her son. It's so, they have a son, funny yeah. dynamic. Because yeah. she's the expert, but he's like a play-by-play guy. And that, it, that... it kind of sounds like they hate each other, which makes for really good radio. <clears throat> yeah, they're yeah. always like, what the hell are you asking? Now, she just did a show on um, buying a home, right? Yes, she recommends. Oh my God, I have to listen to that. I'm yeah, buying a home. You are. And no, in a half says, hour, uh, you learn so much. She oh, says wow. it's time to buy a home. and um, Yes, I can tell you that that it is time to buy a home because housing prices are at an all-time low and money is at an all-time low right. borrowing money is incredibly cheap right now which is the only reason well, I no, can it's buy very a home. hard she says in the show to actually get money you have to be a stellar candidate before you'll mm-hmm. get money yeah, you have to have yeah. good credit and she's like no one doesn't and buy a house proper. without growing broke right if you buy a house you will be broke i mean uh, with certain exceptions don't but tell me that the concrete She's, advice she came away with was no points don't buy points although and, he disagreed and, uh, with that he did he did but i'm gonna go with her advice. yeah me too <laughs> <laughs> and she also said to uh not go for the adjustable rate which makes sense because oh, definitely not rates you will want a only fixed rate, get higher right? they're only yeah, they're go never going to go lower than yeah, they are now absolutely so. and also borrow more money than you need to actually buy the house so that in case you need to fix it 
And I yes, love that show because exactly. it's true advice. You know, Slow Money, those guys have been talking about raising capital for the past 10 years. Meanwhile, here's someone who's on the radio waves just telling people advice. Yeah. No, like, oh, you know, we're accumulating all the money so we can decide this is, hey, young entrepreneur, this is how you can save money. This is what you, how you should spend your money, things like that. I Very mean, b- between this show and Dave Arnold's show, I think they both kind of fit your original vision of the station in which people can actually come away after a show having learned something concrete mm-hmm. that they Tell can Tell us about uh, Dave Arnold's show, Cooking Issues. Dave Arnold over flooded our phone lines for the first time ever. No um, kidding. Man, we had like, oh my God, that's we had so Harold cool. McGee on the other, the other weekend yeah, and right, we had well. like seven, eight callers at a time. It was crazy. Oh, yeah, um, yeah he's, he's got a good following with his cooking issue site and a lot of the, his fans and our fans call in with, Specific technological questions in the kitchen for him. Please and solve what are the some of the weirdest of the ones that you got? Um, or just a lot of, of sous vide questions. Uh, a lot of it goes over my head. I'm just trying to transcribe and, and keep up with it. Um, really I know they have a lot of stuff. questions about sous vide. Now, sous vide yeah. is not a technique that you're necessarily going to use in the home kitchen. You'd Although be you can. Some of these, some of these I mean, people seem I to. I can remember doing um, when I was cooking lunch every other day or so at my old job at Rosemary Morse's Morse Partners, um, which is how I know Mandy. We did several experiments with sous vide, which you can do in a Ziploc bag. Really? And gently poached, very lightly simmering water. Oh, you need is a Ziploc. (laughs) We ripped off a recipe from Juan Maria Arshak from Arshak Restaurant in the Basque region, which is one of the great restaurants in Europe, where you poach an egg with goose fat, truffles, and an egg in a Ziploc and you douse, you put that into a thing of gently wow. simmering water and then you mm. serve it. And that was really absolutely sensational. And um, tell us when you recovered from that lockjaw incident that resulted from it. <laughs> <laughs> right when we met. From the salmonella that... <laughs> No. So anyway, that's very interesting because it's truly a democratic thing. Anyone can call and he accepts really all issues. There's no yeah. question that he's like, ah, I don't want to answer that. No, no. We it had somebody cocktail. call about roasting a chicken and he was like, all right, you know, I'll talk about that. Sure. It doesn't have to be sous vide. And tomorrow's like show, that. he has Dave Wondrich on the, the famous cocktail yes. guy. Yeah. Has he been on before, David, on the network? I don't believe so. He's been mentioned quite a okay, bit. Okay, yeah. So... Well, tell us other exciting shows. I what mean, else um, is going on? Some other news. I, I've spent all of Heritage Radio Network's budget on stickers. Oh, very so nice. Love that. There, there and we're going to have Daniel, um, you know, our new uh, producer engineer, to help put those all around the city. Oh, yeah. Right, Daniel? Well, you're going <laughs> to ride your bike around and... That's a boy. I love that. You know, some guerrilla marketing. Right. And now you also are producing some flyers. We've got flyers. Lots of deliverables. Yeah. We want to increase the visibility and the presence. Um, so. And Tell we're us ready about now. The, uh, September Network 25th. is like a year old. A little over ready. a year old. Yes. And we have some really cracking hot shows. We have Absolutely. new website technology. Yeah. We have uh, pictures now. We have videos. Yeah. We have videos to... of our hosts. So you can actually look at us. You know, waddles <laughs> and all. Those of us who have them. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to Will Colby for those very yeah. intimate video portraits That's right. of our host. Yeah, I love so, the so one that eyes. zeroes in on my eye, my wrinkly eyes with the big bags and everything. But I get to say my piece and then we have a good giggle at the end, don't we, Patrick? Yes, we yeah. do. We both look really cute. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. It's great stuff. You're it's like the like, queen of the station. You you're, you put it's in true. the most Please hours, 2 that. hours a week. It's true. 
No one puts that in more than two hours well, a week two other hours a than week Jack. On the show only because I'm an egomaniac and I love hearing the sound of my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me. And now what are some old standby shows? Um, you know, Hot like Grease. Hot Grease has been on. She's had Grease. some amazing she, guests. She's yeah, getting man. better. She is getting she's better. Really she, great. of all of our shows, really books the guests that I think nobody else does. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's pulling people from, from places. She does. And, she gets really yeah. great guests. She had someone on from Breslin. Uh, yeah. From the Breslin bar restaurant um you know who i don't know i don't work with but yeah no it's very I mean, she very had a few uh, people who raised chickens at home and just Absolutely. really diy really homesteading gets, she digs in yeah it's great foragers, all kinds and of beer sessions beer sessions is always awesome that's They'll a great show jimmy carboni yeah. yeah um yeah. the food scene has actually been excellent as well oh with now, michael harlan turkel yeah he is that. um He's a food photographer. He does a lot of the edible Brooklyn, edible Manhattan photos. And uh, the guests he has on also are just guests that have not really, you know, been here before. Um, Julia Ickes, who I don't remember the name of her company, but they did restaurant design for Sambar and a few other places. Wow. uh, the people from Applewood were on. Actually, the 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 owners of Applewood were on talking about raising children in a restaurant. So cool it ties into today. Tell us theme. about the naturalist. I mean, he's still kicking ass. He's uh, on vacation. Oh, Bernie Wise. But he is great guy. I can't believe he's taking vacation I with know. a gig like this. He's a slacker. The nerve of him being whatever he is. Now, uh, Brooklyn eats is um, she's records. Um, solid as, shows as often right? as she can, and yeah, she's solid. Rachel Wharton talks very quickly and we can't mention hrn without literally one of our oldest shows with the farm report uh no the greenhorn radio greenhorn radio man severin just did a marathon on wednesday she does like eight shows in a row and then she takes a month off so we can broadcast them all um she incredibly has booked i guess now like 60 farmers you know like 60 episodes of her show every week consistently new guest new farmer Someone you've never heard of, someone you may have heard of. Uh, she doesn't stop. It's pretty incredible. Well, and the farm report is kind of a corollary to that show. Well, we have way, a right? new because co-host. Have... We're sorry to say Jack is no longer going to be co-host of the farm report. Yep. I'm now fired. it's going to be Erin from Flying Aaron Pigs. Fairbanks. Yeah, it's right. very. I, I think she'll be a great addition. I may show up uh, every once in a while. Oh, but I hope it, so, Jack. Yeah. We need to hear your voice. With a pretend writing question. Exactly. And then we have Burning Down the House. Burning, Burning Curtis. Our one and only architectural show, which is really starting to get some play. Absolutely. Now, you were mentioning, Jack, that's your favorite architecture show on the network. Yes. My favorite architecture <laughs> show. No, honestly, no, but, Curtis I mean, has been honestly, great. He's been getting some really awesome guests. Yes. And what's super cool is that because he is the only show basically on the airwaves that broadcasts weekly that has uh, discussions about mm-hmm. design and the built environment, um, people are starting to come to him. So he's going to yeah. be having a show in the next couple of weeks, maybe next the week or the week the after with the Museum, Museum of Art of, and yeah. Design. Yeah. No. So Hello, let me say, how I think cool we have three, two shows bonafide that no other media source has flash cash yes and um the burning down and burning the house. down the house i would argue there might be some others i mean is there a naturalist show there must be no not i really. think all of our shows actually to tell you the truth the flash cash on a business radio network you'd probably see something's kind of similar but not well, no, on she's regular more home eckish she is not to rich yeah. people exactly. playing golf That's true. or just entrepreneurs when she says creative accountant it, it doesn't mean what we've come to to know the term to associate to mean, right? with yeah right yeah. cheating yeah. on your breaking taxes, any rules no. she literally means creative accounting and uh, she, she had like a whole thing about written like she created these stories around accounting problems yep she has these 
which cards, I thought was so crazy. inventive, mm-hmm. so she, f- smart and she funny. She gives you three cards that say three things. For instance, it would say, like, fireman, box of matches, and visionary. And you have to come up with a story with those three words that has some kind of financial component to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes for some fun stuff. Well, this has been a great show. Thanks, Jack, for coming on. I'm happy you uh, do so much uh, for the network. We and love that you, you're Jack. thriving in you. your position. Thank and you. thanks, Dan, for engineering for us today. Uh, yes. And our, hear our you, thoughts go out working. to uh, Nat Wiener yeah, because better, um, yeah. I don't know what happened to him, but I hope everything is okay. And um, thank you very much to our guests, Mandy Ozer, uh, Julia Yakshik, and uh, Dave Arnold for coming in to talk about our dear friend and recently departed Michael Batterer. Long live his legacy. Long live. Yeah. See you next month. <laughs> <laughs>